Smiling, yes. All right, praise God. This side looks like it's okay. We want to go to this side now. Smiling, yes, praise God. Teeth, teeth, I need see. Yes, you have them, praise I see you. Praise God. Good to see your faces. It's good to be here in the house of the Lord. You know, I actually have a conundrum this morning. Um, the conundrum in my mind is that some of, some of you have not been here, and so I feel like I should progress. And at the same time, I feel like if I progress, I might lose some of you. And then at the same time, there are children in the room, which means some things I don't want to make so complicated, I want to simplify. So bear with me as the sermon is crafted based on how the Spirit leads this morning. Is that okay? Amen. Amen. And before we begin, we're going to start with a word of prayer. If you don't mind, bow your heads with me as I kneel. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, your truth, and your tender regard for us. We thank you, Father, for bringing us through this crazy week, and we thank you for bringing us into this house of worship that we may have time to commune and fellowship with each other and with you. Now, Father, we're about to open the Bible, and there is no goodness in me or anyone else in this room that makes us worthy to be able to open this book and understand. So we ask for the gift of your spirit and the application of your blood on our account. And we ask this in Jesus' name and claim the merits of his blood. Amen. So last night, we talked about the Messiah and the third temple. And for those of you who were not here last night, there is a movement afoot in our day to build a third temple, to build a place where the Messiah can come and he can set up his kingdom and rule the earth. We even saw that there are persons who actually have reignited or restarted the Levitical system, meaning that they take lambs and they actually sacrifice those lambs in order to anticipate their Messiah. Now, my friends, we know that that is a sad case. Is that right? We know that our Messiah has already come. And John 1.29 clearly says, Behold the Lamb of God, which does what, my friends? Takes away the sins of the world. So we already know that Jesus has come. Jesus has already been sacrificed. Jesus is standing now in heaven as our intercessor. So we see a sad plight there. However, in order to understand the reality that there is another temple to be built, we went back and we began to investigate the first and second temples. Now, the first temple was Solomon's temple. Now Solomon's temple, a beautiful temple. In fact, all the gold and all the artist's uh, work that was rendered in that temple was absolutely amazing. It was by God's order, and God symbolized his acceptance of that temple by fire. We saw in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, that God an, uh, accepted it, and when all the people were in one accord and in one place, God sent fire down from heaven to show that he accepted those sacrifices and the house that they had built for God. 
We also saw in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1, that the temple was finished, verse 13 and 14, telling us that the people were in one accord, they were in one place, they had one mind, and God manifested himself in the presence of a cloud. And the Bible says that no priest was able to minister in the temple when God manifested himself in that temple. I thought it was interesting. Open your Bibles. There's one other place very similar to this. It's in the book of Exodus. It's the very last chapter in the book of Exodus. And I want to start reading at verse... Let's start reading at verse number 33. Exodus 40, and we're going to start reading at verse 33. I want you to see something. In Exodus 40 and verse 33, the Bible says, And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar, and set up the hanging of the court gate. And notice what it says. So Moses, what's it say, my friends? Finish the work. It's very similar to 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1, where it says they had finished the building of the tabernacle. Very similar to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, they had finished the building of the tabernacle. Now notice what happens when there is a completion of the building of the temple or of the tabernacle. Notice what the Bible says. Verse 34. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord, what's it say, my friends? Mercy. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I find that interesting. At the completion of the place where God is to dwell, when the building was complete, when every stone was in its proper place, where every uh, a piece of furniture was in its proper room, God himself manifested, and nobody was able to minister. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment. In order to understand everything I just said, the way, let me pause for a second. Let me, before I tell you what I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you the weight of what I just told you is profound. It absolutely blows the mind when you begin to wrap your mind just around the few passages that I share with you. But in order to understand this, my friends, we must go somewhere. Go with me now to the book of Psalms. Psalm 77. Psalm 77, and we're looking now at verse number 13. Psalm 77, and look at verse 13. And when you have it, just say amen. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, thy way, O God, is where, my friends? In the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? So where is God's way, my friends? Where is it at? In the sanctuary. So if you want to understand God's way, you want to understand God's plan, you must understand the sanctuary. Now, I chose this passage for our scripture reading because I thought it was quite interesting. You see, some of us stop at verse 13, but we don't read the rest of the passage. 
Watch what the rest of the passage says. Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength. What has he declared, my friends? His strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. The waters saw thee. Now, I thought this was interesting. The waters saw thee, O God. The waters saw thee, they were afraid, the depths also were troubled. Now, if you read this surface-wise, just, just for a moment, what waters are these? We're not talking prophecy-wise, just direct application. What waters are being referred to here that were afraid of God? We're talking about the Red Sea. Y'all, y'all hear what I'm saying? God stepped down. I don't know how he stepped down. He was invisible when he did it. Moses put his arms up. He raised his arms to heaven. And the waters, as he raised his arms and the, and the staff, as he raised his arms, the waters parted on both sides. And the Bible says, as the waters parted on both sides, the ground that he walked on was absolutely dry. Now, my friends, that's supernatural. Don't you think so? You can tell at that moment that was not a man's uh, uh, means of escape. That was a divine intervention in order to create a way of escape for God's children. Are you following the idea? So the Bible uses this imagery, and then there's something special with this. Because in Bible prophecy, water is a symbol of people. Revelation chapter 17, verse 5, Isaiah chapter 17, verse 12 and 13 tells us that waters symbolize people. So notice now, God steps down for his saints and the waters divide on both sides and dry ground is prepared for his people to escape their bondage. Hear what I'm saying? Because somebody today, somebody today is going to be delivered from their bondage. There is no way possible that we can have this many people in the room and everybody in here is walking with Jesus perfectly. I am not a fool. I, I, I'm not, a, you know, in, in my mind, I, I used to be tricked. I, I literally would go to church, everybody dressed nice. I'm like, everybody's holy. Everybody be singing in, in the choir and I'd be like, everybody's saints. Until... I started experiencing the saints. Y'all hear what I'm saying? So today, God is going to deliver. So keep reading the passage. It says, thou hast with thine arm, verse 15, redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The water saw thee, O God. The water saw thee. They were afraid. The depths also were troubled. The clouds poured out water. The sky sent out a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. Those arrows will be thunder and lightning, my friends. And the voice of thy thunder was in the heaven. The lightnings lighten the world. The earth trembled and shook. What is that referencing? That's referencing Mount Sinai. That's referencing Mount Sinai. Well, I thought that was interesting. Now watch what it says now. Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Thou leddest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So notice what the Bible does. The Bible contrasts the sanctuary to the deliverance of God's people going through a Red Sea. Stay with me. Are you with me, my friends? Now you have that visual in your mind. 
They're going through a Red Sea. Now, notice what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians. If I'm wrong, it will be 2 Corinthians. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Yes, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And look at what the Bible says beginning at verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, the Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the, what's it say? Under the cloud, and all passed through the, what's it say? Pay attention. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the, what's it say? Mm. So here, the Bible's making it clear that as the people of God were passing through the Red Sea, it was a symbol of baptism. Now, again, let me just step back for a moment. I want you to think with me. Tell me again. I just want to make sure you're with me. Tell me again. Was the parting of the Red Sea natural or supernatural? Stay with me. It was supernatural. Now, I want you to go to the book of John. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. In verse number 6, John 14, in verse 6, remember the Bible says, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. John 14, verse 6, the Bible says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the, what's it say? So Jesus now has said, I am the way. We just read in Psalm 77 that the way of God is in the sanctuary. So Jesus is equating himself with the way. The means of deliverance. Remember, I want you to go somewhere else now. Psalms 73. Psalms 73. And we're going to start reading at verse 1. It's going to take us a little bit of time to read from 1 to the passage where I want to get to. But I want you to, to walk with me in this. Psalms 73 and verse number 1. Truly, God is good to, what's it say, my friends? Now, I want you to replace Israel with your name. Is that okay? So, I'm going to read it again, and when I read it again, put your name there. Truly, God is good to Andre. Pay attention. Even to such are, uh, as of a clean heart. But as for me, Andre... My feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Why? For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. Let me, let me translate that for you just in case you don't understand King James. Here's a person who's committed themselves to God, and they're seeing that the wicked are prospering. 
and they're becoming jealous of the wicked. The wicked got money, the wicked got houses, the wicked got cars. It looks like the wicked are getting away with murder. You understand the idea? They're looking at the wicked, and they're becoming envious and jealous, and it's provoking him in his spirit. Watch what else it says. It says, verse 8, they are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know, and is there knowledge of the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, and watch the question, verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. Mercy, my friends. I don't know if you've ever felt like that in your life. I know I have. I mean, for years, doing missionary work, sacrificing, being paid or not being paid, you know, little money here, little money there, just making it. And I'm like, Lord, I know I could be a gajillionaire. I know I got skills. I could be doing something else. This idea of preaching the truth is not something that seems to be prospering, and I'm sacrificing and doing all this stuff. Man, I'm ready to be out. Y'all never felt like that? I mean, you can only feel like that if you're actually doing God's work. Hear me when I say it to you. You can only feel like that if you're living for God, and then when you start seeing the wicked prospering, when you've been dedicated to God, you're like, man, I'm out. I'm ready to do, I'm ready to do something altogether different. But this is the, 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 the feeling that he has. But watch this now. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say, I speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of, of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was, what's it say, my friends? Too painful for me. Now, notice the next verse. Now, the next verse will have one of my favorite words. I have five favorite words in the Bible, five favorite words in the Bible, and this is one of my five favorite words. What's it say, my friends? Until. One of my favorite, you're going to see, if you keep studying with me over time, you're going to see why this word is so powerful. Until what? Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. Did you get that? So there's something about going into the sanctuary that once I walk into the sanctuary, there is a revelation that comes to my mind and my understanding that says, oh, I see. I don't want the end of the wicked. I don't want to envy what they are doing. I don't want what they have. What I want is Jesus. There's a song. David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. That will I seek after. Hear my prayer when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me. Teach me thy way, O God, and lead me in a straight path. In my mind, as David is singing that song or as he's quoting those words, my mind says, that's his one desire? 
singular purpose. Not a multiplicity of purpose, one purpose, one desire, one passion. I just want to be in the house of the Lord. I just want to be in his presence. I wonder if anybody had that feeling or that thought this morning. I just want to be in his presence. Wherever God is, that's where I want to be. Now, mind you, my friends, when you walk into his presence, it doesn't always feel good. Remember Adam and Eve when they took from the fruit they weren't supposed to eat from? And normally as God would commune with his people day after day, moment after moment, they would have sweet fellowship. But when they ate that fruit, the Bible says that Adam and Eve ran from God. It didn't say that God came down with thunderbolts and lightning and he didn't come down to shake the earth. He didn't say you've done evil. He didn't speak any negative word to them. What happened was when Eve ate the fruit, her whole disposition towards God changed. Let me, tell, let me ask you a question. I'm going to look you in the eye. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you really love spending time with Jesus? I mean, Really? Because I remember in my initial experience with Jesus, I would literally go with my Bible everywhere. Every single place I went, I went with my Bible. I go to the bathroom, my Bible's right there. In my car, I have my Bible right there. I go to church, after church, church is over, everybody's talking, I don't care what everybody's doing, I'm sitting right here with my Bible because it was me and Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, there's a moment in time when humanity itself fails you at every level. There's a moment in time when you realize that there's nothing that any man, woman, boy, or girl can do for you, and you realize that it's only Jesus every moment of the day that can sustain any form of sanity in this thing right here. So I I understand David when he cries out, one thing have I desired, that I will dwell, dwell. He he didn't say visit. Y'all understand that. That's a difference. One thing I desire, I want to dwell, I want to live, I want to habitate in his presence. Now listen, my friends, at the end of the day, this perfect plan of God, in this plan of salvation with the the sanctuary and all these things, you know God's one passion is for you to be with him where he is. That's his one passion. I want you to be with me where I am. In my father's house are many mansions or many rooms. I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be what? That's his passion. But there's a problem. Go with me to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. Look at verse 1. Isaiah 59, look at verse 1. The Bible says, Isaiah 59, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Then there's this this, uh, conjunctive word there. It says, but your iniquities have, what's it say, my friends? Separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So tell me, simple, simple concept, simple thought, you tell me, 
What is it that causes separation between God and man? Sin. Now, I'm going to take this word sin because it's a theological word, right? That's a word that we, we like to use the word sin. It's a theological word. Sin, according to 1 John 3, 4, sin is the transgression or the breaking of God's law. Tell me something. And don't tell me out loud. Just tell me within your mind. I want you to answer this question, just not verbally. Have you sinned? Now, when I asked the question, what happened was the Holy Spirit does a, a drop-down category for you. It was immediate. It wasn't, like, it wasn't like you had to think about it. You already know what it was. You already know what it is. Have you sinned? Have you broke God's law? Is it something that you continue to do? Go with me to the book of Ephesians. Go with me to the book of Ephesians. Look at what the Bible says. Galatians, Ephesians. Go to the book of Ephesians. I want you to go to chapter 5. Actually, before Ephesians, go to Galatians. Galatians first. Go to Galatians first, then we'll come back there. Galatians 5, and I want you to look at verse number 18. Start at 18, and we're going to read. I want you to hear what the Bible says. Galatians 5, verse 18, it says, And if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not what, my friends? Under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, strife, wrath, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Now watch what it says. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit. What's it say, my friends? Now, again, I, I, I posit this to you because the reality is there are many who practice these things, who call themselves Christians. And the Bible says, don't be deceived. These folks are not getting in. That's what it says. Go to Revelation. Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. And our Revelation 21 is the, the new Jerusalem, the third temple, coming down from heaven, out of heaven. The Mount Sinai splits on both sides. God's temple comes and rests right there. But notice what the Bible says at the end. This beautiful temple, 12 gates, all these pearly, pearly stones, all these beautiful things. And then it says, verse 27, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a, what's it say, my friends? A lie. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
So tell me, anything unclean getting into heaven? Anything unclean? No? Nothing unclean is getting in? So here's what, here's what I want you to do. For a moment, I just want you to think. Is there anything unclean in your home? Is it anything unclean on your Netflix, which would probably be the majority of it? Anything unclean on your YouTube searches? Anything unclean on your internet discovery stuff? Anything unclean with your selection of music? Anything unclean in your cupboards, in your, in your refrigerator, or on your counters? Any, anything unclean? In those places, let me tell you something. Those of us who are planning to go to the kingdom of heaven must get rid of everything that is unclean. Now, what I'm saying is a hard saying. In fact, the reality is you and I don't have the ability to get rid of everything that's unclean by ourselves. You see, the reality is in the last days what's going to happen, people don't like these type of sermons. These type of sermons are intrusive. They're too personal. The preachers are talking about how you're spending your money. Too personal. How you're spending your time. Brother Waller, you're being too personal. In fact, I think you're being legalistic. No, legalism is the idea that you can work your way in. That I can earn my way into heaven. No, you can't earn your way into heaven. However, you can't sneak in either. Huh? You can't sneak in either. There's only one way. What way is that? Through Jesus. And the Bible says he is the way, the truth, and the life. And the Bible says in John 17, go to John 17 for a moment. Look at John 17. Look what the Bible says. John 17. Look what the Bible says. And Jesus is praying. And this prayer, this prayer right here is the heart. Because Jesus himself is praying. So this prayer right here is the heart of Jesus' prayer in the heavenly sanctuary right now. Now, I love this because it's so beautiful. It says in verse number one, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Now watch how he defines it. And this is life eternal. What is life eternal? That they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So what is eternal life? Oh, you said, oh, I know some people thought eternal life is me living forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That is a byproduct of eternal life. Eternal life is knowing God. And the only way to know God is to know his son. Are you following what I'm saying? Now, let me, t let me ask you a question. My wife, sweetie pie, if you could raise your hand for a moment. That's my bride right there, okay, just in case you didn't know. Now, I'm going to ask her a question. Of course, I need you to answer, but I'm going to ask her. Okay, so I'm going to ask her, but I need you to answer. Sweetie pie, is it okay, you know, we spend time once a week together, and then six days out of the week, is it okay if I spend the rest of my time with another woman? need you to answer. No? 
You agree with them? All right. I'm, I'm going to ask her another question. I'm going to ask her, but I'm, I'm going to need you to answer. Sweetie Pie, I love you. And I want to spend the rest of my life with you, but I want to spend uh, six days and 23 hours with you. And I just want to spend one hour with another woman. How do you guys go? That's not okay? Wait, so on a very basic level, in a relationship between a man and a wife, between husband and, 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 spouse and, and bride, you're telling me that I can't just spend one hour with someone else when I spend the majority of my time with the woman that I said I love? You're telling me I can't do that? So if you're telling me I can't do that, why do we spend time with the devil for 30 minutes or 20 minutes? Why, 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 listen, listen, listen. Why would you spend, so some of you want to go out and watch some new movie that's coming out tonight. Listen, I'm spe- I, I don't care if you don't like me. Listen, you want to say you love Jesus, I want to obey God, I want to follow him, but then you want to go sit time with the devil and say, I just want to be entertained. You know what you're entertaining? A demonic, corrupt, horrible heart. And you can't call yourself a Christian and do that. Actually, in this time, you can do that. It's just not true. I hope you're hearing me. Because at this point, brothers and sisters, what's happening in these last days is God is looking for a genuine people that he can fellowship with that he can have unbroken communion with. And the thing that's causing the problem is sin. You name it, whatever you want to name it, whatever it is that you're, that's causing you to separate your relationship and your time with God, sin. Sin. Now, my heart bleeds. You know why it bleeds? Because I've been attending church for a long time. You could even say I was born on a pew. Like, you could literally, if you wanted to, you could say that. I'm 40-something years old. 40, 41? Am I 41 or 40? I'm 40. <laughs> 41. I'm 41. I forgot. So, mind you, I've been attending and being in the culture of Christianity for 41 years. And cultural Christianity is not genuine godliness. In God's plan, he sent his son. And as I told you night after night, it's always a baffling thought to me. He sent his son, and the Bible says that he put on flesh. He put this on, and he lives a perfect life in this flesh. And not once did he ever sin. He never lost his temper. You see, he got angry in the temple. See, if you lose your temper, that means you lost control. Do you understand? But you can be angry and sin not. That's what the Bible says. So Jesus got angry because they were, they were disrespecting the nature and the person of God. Now, get this point in your mind. Jesus walks into a temple, and this temple was supposed to be a place that represents the person and character of God in heaven. 
And the people are coming there to find deliverance, and they're coming to find help. But the very place they're coming, they are not finding any help. They're not finding any deliverance. And Jesus says, that's enough. And he starts throwing over tables, ties cords together, whipping the leadership, getting them out of the building. Because finally, he's trying to say, hey, if you need help, I'm here. And after he chased down all these, these imposters, if you will, he calls all the people together. And they come to him. You would think that because he was an angry man, they would run away. But he, Jesus was angry at those who needed to be angry at. So they come to him. And the Bible says that many were healed. Many were delivered. Many were, 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 were uh, empowered to live holy lives thereafter because he is the source of what they were coming for. You see, my friends, let me say this another way. We often have to conjure a religious experience when God is absent. So what, what happens is we have to have some fancy drums. We have to have some crazy music. We have to have somebody dance around on top of their head in order for the, the children to be kept or entertained. Do you know many children, many children, I'm talking about five, six, four, three, when I preach stuff like this, they themselves come to me and say, I really liked your sermon. Children do that, brothers and sisters. Years. That's my wife. Years this has happened. I'm thinking the stuff is too deep, too profound. The children come. Brother Waller, I really appreciate your sermon. It was amazing. I, I never heard any preacher like you before. And it's not because of me. You know what it is? It's because there is supposed to be a genuineness to the gospel that we say we preach. So that our children don't want to hear nothing about the gospel because in our homes we're not living it. We come to church, we pray long prayers. At home, our children don't see us pray at all. At church, we tell them, bring your Bible, sing these songs, and we only do that at church. They don't see us do it at home, so it's not a habit that they form. And then when they get older, we're like, where are our children? Because it's not about one day, my friends. Every day with Jesus. You know this song, like, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. You know that song? That's a lie for most people. Our children need to see the reality of the gospel on a daily basis. On a daily basis. And when they see that, and they see that mom and dad are truly loving and they're truly kind, and it's not that, that we don't mess up, that we don't make mistakes. They know that that's going to happen. But if they see mom and dad are pushing in their relationship to God, they're acknowledging their weakness before the Most High, then the children themselves will say, I, I like this. I want to be like them. We lose our children because we're not genuine in our house. And my prayer, you know, the reality is I'm not perfect either. You say somebody's preaching like that up there, he must, everything must be in perfect condition. The reality is I pray often, Father, hide my foibleness from my child. <laughs> Lord, help me be a better father. Help me to be a better husband. Jesus has come 
to deliver us from the bondage of sin. Just as Israel was in bondage in Egypt and he created a way out of no way, God wants to do the same for each one of us. He wants to offer salvation. Still in John, I wanted to get to a point there. In John 17, watch this. In John 17, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, verse 3, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. And notice his words. I have, what's it say? Finish the work. That's interesting. Do you, do you see something here? When the temple was finished, God manifested himself in the temple with his presence. Now we're finding Jesus making a similar declaration, saying, I have finished the work. Father, glorify me. His task was complete. His temple was ready. And now as Jesus is glorified, he says, as I am lifted up from the earth, how many would be drawn? All men. I will draw all men unto me. I will draw all men. Why? Because what's happening is as he is being glorified, the Father himself and his character is glorified. And as we behold his glory, my friends, you cannot help but be in awe of it. Do you know that in the last days, we're told that every knee will bow. That's good and bad. Every tongue will confess, good and bad, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee. Not, I don't care if you're an atheist. An atheist is going to bow down at that time. I don't care if you said, I don't believe in God. I don't want to obey God. You can say anything you want. But at that day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Everyone will be able to, be able to stand there and say, he did everything he could to save me. He, listen, you know, when we get to that day, I don't want to get to that day and, <laughs> and stand there with any type of regret. Like, I don't want to get to that day and the Lord shows me, Andre, I sent this your way. I provided this for you. I provided this because it's going to come like that day is going to come. Everybody's going to have that day. I've done this for you. I sent this preacher. I sent this Bible worker. I sent these medical missionaries. I sent this pastor. I sent this person and you didn't recognize I sent angels your way. And in that moment, everything's going to be revealed. And when it's revealed, it will be too late. No, when I stand here, I stand between the living and the dead. I don't know if you understand what that means. There are people in this room who literally have been coming to church for years and have never truly been converted. And you are dead. And then Jesus stands and says, why would you die, O house of Israel? My son is the way. My son is the truth and my son is the life. 
Whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. If you are practicing darkness, you are not his child. He longs for you to be his child. The passage in John 15, 14 says, go to John 15, 14. John 15, 14. <laughs> what does it say? And it's funny because I didn't, that's not the verse I wanted, but that's what the verse the Spirit wanted. What, is the, what does the verse say in John 15, 14? <laughs> Do you see it? I didn't, you don't understand what's happening right now. I didn't choose that text. I had a different text in my brain that I thought I was going to. This is the text the Spirit said, go to. You are my friends if you do what I say to do. Somebody says, I want to be a friend of God. Then obey what he says. If God says, if Jesus says, the seventh day is the Sabbath, you can't make up your own thing. If, the, if Jesus says, this, your body is a temple, and whatever you offer in this temple must be clean and holy, you can't make up your own thing. You can't do it because it's his book, it's his instruction, it's his law. And tell me something, is he just making laws for the sake of making laws? Is he a dictator? He's just being an arbitrator. You know, some parents act like arbitrators. You know, arbiters, you know, just, they're just, do this, why? Because I said so. Now, my, mind you, my friends, there might be a place for that. But our Father loves us. Amen? So every instruction that he gives is for our benefit. Every, every command is a promise. In fact, it's interesting. He asks us to do some of the most amazing things. He said to Moses, I want you to deliver Israel. Moses is like, I can't talk. My tongue gets all flipped upside down. God says, I got you. I have your tongue. David, I want you to be king, but Lord, I'm just a shepherd's boy. No problem. I will be to you a father. See, if God is asking you to do something that you naturally can do, then you, might, you don't need him. But God's asking us to do something that we can't do. You know what it is? You can't walk on water, can you? But he said to Peter, Peter. And, and Peter's interesting, because Peter says, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come walk on water. First of all, I think that's a crazy request in the first place, man. <laughs> Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. Come. No further explanation. <laughs> come. Peter steps out the boat. The waves are going. It's not like it's a smooth water thing. It's like a storm. Peter steps out and he puts his foot on water and it doesn't go beneath. He steps out the boat, puts his second foot on water. He's not holding on to the side anymore and he's on water. Tell me, anything natural in Peter to help him have buoyancy on top of that water? So it is with the call to be a Christian. There is no innate goodness in us to help us walk on water. You know, sometimes it's tricky. It's easier to walk on water than it is to walk on land. Did you know that? Did you guys know that? No, y'all missed it. 
It's easier to walk on water as, 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 instead of walking on land. You say, but Brother Waller, I got up this morning, I walked on land, no problem. That's the problem. You see, when you know you can't walk on water, you'll definitely ask for help. But if you think you can walk on land, you won't ask. That's why we always fall. I hope you're following me, my friend. So instead of getting up in the morning, just jumping out of bed, rolling out, oh, I got to be at work in 30 minutes. Let me go get my teeth brushed. I got to go get this done. I got to go get this done. So you're getting everything done. Oh, I, I, I will have my five-minute prayer. Father in heaven, bless us for this day. Help us not to do bad things. Amen. And then you run out. And all day long, you're sinking. All day long, you're dishonoring your God. Because you thought you can walk on land. And you have no ability to be a Christian like that. My friends, I... I I am amazed at how much God says he's willing to give and how much we don't take from what he's willing to give. Man, if I told you I had a million dollars and you, had, you come up and get it, most of you would come up here. Some of you got a million, so you're not, you're not interested in that. But some of you would come immediately because I have it to offer, right? It's here. You would come and you would take it because it's freely given. God says, I got a gajillion million strength for you. I have might for you. I have the ability to live a righteous life for you. And we are like, hmm, yeah, I'll get there. I see you when I see you. I told you from the beginning of these meetings that God has a problem. He does not have many friends. He doesn't have many people that want a fellowship with him. They want his name. <laughs> they want the benefits. But they don't want him. You know, before I married my wife, I would generally, if anyone heard me preach when I was single, I would not date them. I just wouldn't because... It, Normally with the preacher, there's always this level of respect that comes with the preacher. So I wasn't sure if the person would like me for being me or they like me because what comes with being a preacher sometimes. So I literally would not date anyone <laughs> that heard me preach. And sometimes I think God does that too. I think that's why he put on human flesh. No outward thing to draw people to him. It was all about his person and his character. Do you love what, what he represents? Do you love how he talked to children? How he talked to women? Do you love that he has a plan? Like there, there's actually a plan for deliverance from this place, from its power, from its presence. I ask the question because I know that in this room today there's a decision that needs to be made. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God is our God? Ultimately, my friends, what the Lord wants is for us to dwell in his presence 
and to abide there and not be consumed. Last verse, Revelation chapter 14. No, Revelation chapter 15. In Revelation 15, after three angels' messages are proclaimed, there is a passage of Scripture that I want you to pay attention to. The Bible starts out in verse number one. I'll just start verse one, and then we'll read into what I want to get to. It says, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. For in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass. Pay attention to this, my friends. Mingled with what? Mm, mm, mm. And them that had gotten the victory. Now, wait, 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 before I get there. Do you, do, you know, do you know that this sea of glass in the sanctuary is the brazen altar in, in, in uh, the brazen laver in Solomon's temple? So the brazen laver in Solomon's temple is reflected here in Revelation 15 where God's people are standing on a sea of glass. They're standing in the presence of God. All right? Remember, the laver is a symbol of baptism. All right, stay with me. And then they had gotten the victory over the beast and over the image and over his mark and over the number of his name. Stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sang the song of, what's, whose, name, whose song is it, my friends? Moses. What's the song of Moses? That's the song of deliverance. When they got over on the other side of the Red Sea, they start singing and they started dancing. A holy dance, of course. They started singing and they started dancing, praising God for the deliverance from their enemies. I love how the Spirit ties things together. The song of Moses and the song of who, my friends? The song of who, my friends? The Lamb. They sing both songs, the songs of victory, saying what? Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened, and the seven angels came out of the temple having, what's it say? Seven plagues clothed with pure and white linen, having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials, full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. Now watch this. And the temple was filled, what's it say? With smoke from what, my friends? Wait, 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 wait. If the temple is filled with smoke from God's glory, remember, the priest could not enter in. Now, I hope you're staying with me. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple to the seven 
plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Let me translate that. You see, when the seven plagues are poured out, there is no intercession. There is no more mercy being pleaded for by God for men. At that point, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl would have made a decision for God for or against him. So before those plagues are poured out, before the temple of God is sealed, while you have opportunity, you should enter into the sanctuary. What do you say? Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. This afternoon, you have heard God's word spoken. Yes. And I have two appeals. Two appeals. The first appeal is very simple. You've heard God's word spoken to you today. And you know you have not been living for him, but for yourself. You know it. And today, you are making a decision to give God permission to come into your life and redirect you in the path of righteousness. This is not for everybody. I'm not asking for a recommitment right now. I'm asking for the one or two who have said in their hearts, I have been walking away from God and I know it. But today, I want to respond to God's call to come home. Is anyone like that here today? If that's you, just raise your hand. I see your hands. I see your hands. Is there anyone else? This is not for everybody. This is for those who know they've been walking in the wrong direction. And Jesus is calling you back today. You want to turn around. You want to turn around and you want to come home. And the door is open, my friends. As they say, he's not mad. He loves. He loves. Praise God. Those of you who raised your hand, please see me right after church. Right after church. You can put your hand down. My second appeal. You have never given your heart to Jesus. And you want to give him your heart today for the first time. For the first time. And it's simple. You, don't, you can't really give your heart. You just have to give him permission to take it. Is there anyone like that here today? Just raise your hand. For the first time, I see your hand. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? I see my little friends. Praise God.
my last appeal. If today you want to reconsecrate yourself to God, to make room for his spirit to work in a more marked manner, you want God's glory, you want Jesus himself, you want a fellowship with him in a deeper way, if that's your desire, please go to your knees with me as we pray. Our Father in heaven, first, Father, I want to lift up those hands that went up to you. Recognizing that they were going in the wrong direction. And they want to return and repent and come home. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit rest upon them in a mighty way. I pray that the enemy of souls would be pushed back. And just as it was a miraculous deliverance for the children of Israel, I pray for the same deliverance for them, Father. Father, you love us so much. You provided a way of escape that all who desire to escape can. I pray for those who raise their hand to give their hearts for the first time. Father, we pray the prayer, take their hearts for they cannot give them. They are your property. Keep them for they cannot keep them for thee. And please, Father, for my little friends that raise their hands, Lord, help them to see you. Even if their parents may not be living right. I pray special protection for them, Father. And I pray for special wisdom for their parents as they lead them daily, Lord. And lastly, Father, we are on our knees. We are on our knees, recognizing our need of you, Lord. There is nothing good in us, Father. There is no good thing we have to offer you except what you have told us to do is come before your throne of grace boldly that we may receive pardon and grace in time of need. And Father, this is a time of need. Purify us, make us clean, Lord. The things of this world seem to draw us, Father, but please teach us how to see Jesus. That the things of this world grow strangely dim. Thank you, Father. Thank you for hearing and asking our prayers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.